0: Well, it's lovely to be bringing you the second week of our leadership training and I hope that you are learning and I hope you've grown and got some fresh revelation from the last time we met, but I would just love to open in prayer and then I would like to talk to you today about the two different types of leadership style that we find in the Old Testament. Father, I want to thank you for your anointing today. I want to thank you for your peace. I want to thank you for revelation. Holy Spirit. I pray for incredible revelation and I want to thank you that as people listen and as they receive and as they search the word that their hearts and their minds will be open to understand that serving you as a servant in leadership is an incredible privilege and that if you happen to call us, anoint us and appoint us, that we have to remember that every person is sacred, their holy ground, because they belong to you bless this ministry bless every person listening and i thank you for such clarity in jesus mighty name well it's wonderful to be with you again and we were talking about leaders and leadership training and this is week two and i just want to start by saying god is looking for leaders with a heart after god he's looking for people that have got his heart that have got his mind that have got his spirit um, they do not think or lead like the world does, but they think and they lead like Jesus did. A good leader is not trying to establish followers who behave like and look like them. A good leader is establishing followers that behave like and look like Jesus Christ. Okay, now the two, king, the, the two kings that I want to talk about today. We know that the Old Testament is a shadow and a type of the New Testament, And so when we look at what happened in the Old Testament, we can apply it to the New Testament with a fresh new understanding that it's after the cross and it's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the two kings that I want to look at today is Saul and David, the first and the second king of Israel. Well, actually, there was a king in between for a very short period of time, which was Saul's son but he didn't, he was not the anointed and appointed one. And he only ruled for something like two years. And then David took over. So Saul and David were two kings. They were both called, they were both anointed, and they were both appointed by God. One lived and ruled as this will does, following the heart of the enemy, placing himself as God. And we see in Isaiah 14 verse 12, the enemy says that I will be God. I will place myself on the throne. And that's what leaders do that follow in the ways of the enemy. They place themselves on the throne. They build their kingdom. They don't build the kingdom of God. They want all the worship for themselves and they render others useless so that they can shine bright and that they can look more important. The other lived and ruled with a heart after the father and honoring and wanting the best for every single person. King Saul represented the leadership style of this world and David lived a life seeking to find and to please the heart of our father in every situation. One will be eternally remembered as a mighty king and the other one lost his destiny. And we look at Saul, he lost his destiny and David is still remembered as the mightiest king that Israel ever had. What was the difference between the Saul type leadership and the David type leadership. Well, number one, they were both kings. Number two, they both suffered from a spirit of rejection from their family. Number three, they both cared for their their father's animals. Saul looked after the donkeys and David looked after the sheep. They were both men called of God. They were both appointed um, by, uh, anointed by Samuel as instructed by God. Both were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Both had prophets sent to speak to them and to guide them and to tell them the heart of the Father. They both prophesied. They were both positioned next to priests. Both of them ruled for approximately 40 years and both of them made many mistakes. So that's what they had in common. What was the difference? Well, number one, who was Saul? Saul was the king of Israel for 42 years from the age of 30. In 1 Samuel 9, chapter 9 to chapter 14, we read about the story of Saul and I would love you to take time to read that so that you can go through it and just see exactly what I've described and you can find it and see it for yourself. Now we read through the passage above, it is important to read and to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to get to know and to understand Saul the person, where and why he failed and why he was not considered to be the man that God called him to be. He had insecurities that affected him, his family, and the whole nation. I love the lineage of Saul, it's just so amazing. When you look at the description in 1 Samuel 9 verse 1, it tells us who Saul was. His father was right back um, to at least five generations. The word Saul means desired, son of Kish, which means bent or a bow, the grandson of Abiel, which means God is my father, the great-grandson of Zerora, which means a small stone or a pebble, the great-great-grandson of Bekaroth, which means the firstborn, the son of Aphiai, I think that's how you say it, Aphiai, I will make you breathe, the prominent man from the tribe of Benjamin, son of my right hand. Now, when we look at the meaning of these names and we put them together, we see something. We see the pattern and the call of Jesus himself. And I'm going to read, re- reread the meanings of the names to you. Son of my right hand, who I will fill with the breath of my Holy Spirit, I will make you breathe. My firstborn, a small pebble, but Jesus became the rock. God is our Father. He's a bow or warrior, my desired one. How amazing is that? So the names describing Saul, going right back to his great, great, great grandfather, can be describing the lineage of Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at that prophetic utterance and you see the prophetic picture, you realize that Jesus allowed them to choose a man that was going to be in the lineage of Jesus eventually, because it was the prophetic destiny of Jesus himself. And they chose a man, that the nation asked for a man, they asked for a king, and God said to Samuel, I'll show you who to choose, and he showed him Saul. Now what was Saul like? He was physically very tall and handsome. He was a young man, but he had a very poor self-image, who suffered from a spirit of rejection. He believed the voice of the devil, the tormenting demons in his head, rather than the voice of God. He always saw the negative in every situation. He saw a problem rather than a solution. And he battled with a spirit of fear. For example, when the servant said to him in chapter 9, verse 7, let's go and look for a seer because they couldn't find the donkeys. He said, I've got nothing to give him. The servant then said, well, I've got some money. Let's go and find him. And then he said, my father will be worried about the donkeys and us. We better just go back. So instead of going and finding out where the donkeys were, gave up he didn't want to carry on looking for the donkeys he was much happier just to go back and um and then later on when when they asked when when they described when he described himself he said i'm the least in my kin he just saw problems he didn't see solutions he gave up easily he was just a man that had no drive and no vision even though he was a very handsome man he was a very tall man and god identified him you know just like gideon I said to you last week, God identified Gideon. God isn't looking at our attitude when he calls us friends. He's looking at our predestined calling. And then we've got to be transformed and be changed so that we no longer walk in the behavior and the attitude that we once had. Excuse me. (coughs) So God called Saul according to his predestined calling. But Saul's attitude stank. His behavior stank. He was a victim. He couldn't rise up in any way. But God still called him and gave him the opportunity to be transformed. His father had sent him with a servant to find the donkeys. But he gave up easily. He saw the problems are not the solution. He wanted to give up on the donkeys. His servant worked a plan. Saul said, we have nothing to pay. But his servant brought the solution. Excuse me. <coughs> Samuel was a very powerful prophet and God positioned Samuel to stand next to Saul and to advise him and to help him and to lead him and to guide him. And Samuel asked God what the destiny was over Saul and he gave him the destiny. He gave him the the word and the prophetic direction that he had for Saul so that he could conquer the Philistines. Saul met Samuel at the time of the sacrifice Saul was told and witnessed that the people did not eat until the prophet who was also a priest had blessed and dedicated the food. If you remember the way that um, the sacrifices were done, people had to bring the, the, the meat and they had to bring the sacrifices to the priest. The priest would then salt it, put it on the fire and then make it as an offering before the father. And then they were allowed to partake of the food that was left behind. But the priest, was the inter- he was the the, inter- the, the, the the intercessor that was mediating between father and the people. And that's why the salt was an it was a symbol of a friendship offering. Pouring the salt on the food, making it acceptable to the father. And it was only the priests that were being consecrated that were allowed to do that so that the people could be forgiven of their sins. It was a sacred act, and they had to be forgiven of their sins. And that was what God's commission and God's plan was for them. Now, Saul witnessed that that had to happen, but he knew it. It was the law of the country. And then he also was told particularly that you may not touch anything that has been, that's going to come as a sacrifice until Samuel comes. Later on, he's put in that position again, but the fear of man caused him to sin in that situation. Saul met Samuel at the time of the sacrifices, um, but he feared the people so much. In in 1 Samuel 10, verse 22, where after Samuel had anointed Saul as king, he then told him, I'm gonna come to you and I'm gonna anoint you again. And when he came to anoint him publicly, Saul was hiding among the, the, the luggage. He couldn't be found. He did not pick up his mantle as a king, but he went back farming after he'd been anointed. And when people criticized him, you know, friends, people will always criticize the calling of God in your life because they will always measure you by what they think they know about you rather than what God has called out of you. And when the people criticized Saul and they said, how can this be our king? He did not stand up under the anointing that he'd now received for the second time. First of all, when when Samuel anointed him on his own, and then the second time at Gilgal, when he anointed him king, and he did not stand up under the mantle of the authority, but he looked at the people that judged him, and he went back farming. He never rose up as the king that he was meant to be, and silenced those that came against him. Friends, people will always judge you. They will always criticize you. But when God gives us the authority to represent him, we've got to stand up in who that authority is. And so he didn't listen to Samuel. He feared man. He hid when he was going to be anointed king. After Samuel told him everything that was going to happen, he said, I'm going to anoint you. Then you're going to go. You're going to go among the prophets. You're going to find your donkeys. Everything's going to be solved. Then I'm going to come. And he said, you will be changed when you go among the prophets. Because God knew that he had to change his heart from being a coward under the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear, Timothy describes it as a cowardice, a timid spirit. And he needed a bold, courageous spirit. And he did that. God did that for him among the prophets. But then what happened was that he then went and he um, went back to his old patterns. He described himself as the least of the tribe of Benjamin, the least important family member, and I am no one. This was not humility. It was absolute insecurity in 1 Samuel 9 verse 21. The prophetic destiny over Saul's life, 1 Samuel 9 verse 16 to 17 says, I will send you a man from the tribe of Benjamin and you are to anoint him as a commander in chief over the people. So God said to him, I'm going to send you a man. He's going to be the commander in chief over the people. He will deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines and he will rule over Israel. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man that I told you about. This is the man that must rule. So Samuel gets a clear prophetic destiny for Saul. He sees Saul. He tells him what God had said. He then prophesies over him. As I've just said, the journey that he's going to go home. He then says, wait for me. We're going to do the sacrifices first. Did the sacrifices, anoint him king, and then comes back later to go once again publicly and anoint him. And Saul walked the journey, experienced everything that Samuel had told him. And yet when it came to rising up in the fullness of everything that he'd been given, he chose to go back to the brooding, hiding, rejected person, riddled with fear that never rose up and took authority in his kingdom. Saul, his encounter among the prophets in 1 Samuel 10 verse 5 to 8 and verse 10. They were worshipping and playing instruments, so they ushered in the presence of God. The Spirit of God came down on Saul. Saul's mouth was released and he prophesied among them that people commented, Look, Paul is prophesying among the prophets. Saul was changed into a new person. Insecurities were dealt with and he was empowered by the Spirit of God. Saul was anointed and empowered to do everything God had called him to do. And yet he didn't. It was at um, uh, Gabeah G- that Saul met the prophets and Gabeah was the, the city the, in the mountain district of Judah. It was the city of Benjamin. he was he was from the, the tribe of Benjamin and this was the city of the of the tribe of Benjamin. Saul was born and he lived in Gabeah and Saul was transformed in Gabeah. How kind is God that he took him back to where he was born, which was his familiar place, and he transformed him as he came among the prophets at Gebeah. And then he went to Gilgal. And Gilgal means the wheel is um, the rolling wheel or the place of reproach. Gilgal was the place that Joshua had to circumcise the whole nation of Israel. So Gilgal is the place of the circumcised heart. God took Saul to Gilgal, and that's where he anointed him king over the whole of Israel, at the place of the circumcised heart, after his heart had been circumcised and transformed at Gebir. But instead of rising up at that moment, as I said, when people were criticizing him, he went back farming. The result of going back farming was that he ended up losing most of his army. The army of this massive big army, all gathered at Gilgal, because the the Philistines were threatening them, and Paul went into a fear, a riddled situation, and the whole army was rendered useless in fear, and they all rushed into caves and holes, and hid in terror of the Philistine army, and it ended up because of Saul's fear, that the whole army was rendered full of fear, and no one did anything, and he ended up losing most of the army. So we see that leaders that do not allow their hearts to be circumcised will continue to battle with old insecurities. But when we allow God to circumcise our hearts, He deals with old hurts, with old areas of self-sufficiency, with the pain, with insecurity, with any inner vows that we've made toward other people, with words that have been spoken over our lives, with wrong thinking patterns and neuropaths of the old ways, the worldly ways of thinking become sanctified. And before we can enter or live in the promises that God has for us, and we see how Saul experienced that among the prophets. He was sanctified. He was transformed. He was changed. And yet when it came to the place of rising up, he chose to go back into worldly thinking, old ways, and into the patterns of his own rejection, riddled with fear. So God himself gave Saul a new heart, a new anointing, and a new authority Saul chose not to walk in that. Um, He continued to operate under that same form of, of insecurity and jealousy and hatred and we just see it rising up over and over and over again in his life. He started controlling every powerful person. He would look for powerful people like David, bring them into his army, then try and control them. He was jealous of them. He was filled with hatred. He was an unwise leader. When the nation was at war, he said to them, don't eat anything while you're fighting. And that's the worst thing you could do because it rendered them absolutely weak. And when Jonathan found honey and he ate some, not knowing what his father said, he was prepared to kill Jonathan for defying him rather than recognize that he'd made a mistake. He did not stand in faith, and he did not stand on the word of God, and he did not believe in his prophetic destiny, because if he was fear-driven, he completely rendered the army useless, he lost most of the army, and then later on, when once again, they were confronted with Goliath and the Philistine army, and remember, he had been anointed to destroy the Philistines. Once again, when confronted with the Philistines and Goliath, the whole army was rendered useless. Friends, God does not care about our call as much as he cares about our character. Without character, we can never fulfill the call of God. That is why we have to go through so much character building and testing until our father can trust us. Jesus had to go through 40 days of being tested in every single way by the enemy before he could start one day of ministry. And friends, I want to say to you, Don't be puffed up when people recognize what's potential on you. Allow God to break every insecurity, every hurt, every area of unforgiveness. Get the chip off your shoulder. Get the need to be recognized as somebody special. Let die. You know, there's only two two forces that are trying to kill us. The one is the devil who wants to destroy your destiny. And the other one is God who wants to kill your insecurities so that he can rise you up to fulfill your destiny. And it's really important that we see that. Saul failed every time, and he rendered the whole army useless. David was God's second choice, and yet he succeeded. And Jesus is still operating in the lineage of David. Saul trusted himself and not God because of his fear. Now, this is so important. Remember, I told you about the sacrifices. So then Samuel said to him, go gather the people, and I'm going to do the sacrifices in seven days. He gathered all the people to come and do the sacrifice of repentance. And the uh, the sacrifices were there to, 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 to cleanse the people of their sin. But it was also there to worship God and for God to hear the voices and the worship of the instruments. It was a sacrifice of worship and a sacrifice of repentance. And he waited and he waited, but Samuel was late. And so because the people got fed up and the people said, well, we're going home. And because the people ended up becoming irritable, Saul decided, well, I'll just do the sacrifices. So he just quickly did the ritual. You see, friends, every time that we bring a sacrifice to God, it's holy. It's sacred. It was sacred for those people to bring sacrifices to God. The the, the priest had to be there as as the intercessor on their behalf to come and add the salt. He had to be the one that took the sacrifices of sin and rendered it to God and make it acceptable to God and that God could set the people free and that was the anointing of the Levite priests but Samuel I mean Saul thought more about himself his own reputation and about the fear of man so he just quickly did the sacrifices and when when um, Samuel came he said what have you done Because what had he done? He'd sacrificed something that was sacred and holy, and he turned it into a ritual. And you know, friends, that's what we're still doing today. We're still turning into ritual things that are sacred. Breaking of bread is sacred before God. Repenting of sins is sacred before God. Worship is sacred before God, and we do it as rituals. And that was exactly why Jesus got so upset When he came into the temple and he saw them all selling the the, the animals, remember it was said that you had to go and take your best your best um your best dove, your best sheep, your best animal with no flaw, and you had to take what was was precious to you and you had to sacrifice that for your sins. Why? So that we could have a revelation of how deeply our sin pains god and that that little animal had to die on your behalf it was representing what jesus would do one day and when jesus came into the temple and yeah, there were people just selling these and you could just go buy a dove and buy sheep and there was no attachment to it and go and sacrifice it it was ritual and jesus was so saddened by that and that's when he went and prayed and he went and planted a whip the bible says and he came back and he kicked them all out of the temple And he said that they had made the father's um, house to be a a den of thieves. And friends saw that the same thing. And because he did that, he lost his inheritance. And so now we see that because they'd been at war, Jonathan had gone and fought battles. And every time Jonathan had stepped out on his own with just a small group of people the first time and the second time just with with his armor bearer, Every time he did that, Saul took the credit for what Jonathan had done. And now the army was depleted, there was hardly anybody left. There were only about 600 left of them. and the Philistines changed strategy. And friends, our enemies at war with us, we better know that. He's never going to stop being at war, even when he changes strategy. And they changed strategy and Saul did not see it. And the strategy was this. They went, they they camped at a place called Michmash, which means hidden. So they hid their, 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 their modus operandi. And they sent troops and spoilers or destroyers into Israel to deplete the land of all the blacksmiths. And what they did then was they forced the Israelites to be completely dependent on the Philistines for their food for their farming equipment for their weaponry for their defense and for any transport because they could not make their weaponry they couldn't make their plows they couldn't make anything that was metal for themselves they were completely reliant on the philistines for their livelihood and friends that's the enemy strategy even today he has forced everybody to be completely reliant on him for their livelihood and instead of Saul recognizing that and fighting on behalf of the nation, that ended up with only two men in the whole army having armor. And that was Saul and Jonathan. Nobody else had armor. Nobody knew how to use their armor. Nobody knew how to defend themselves. Nobody knew how to provide for themselves. Nobody knew how to do anything for themselves. They were rendered useless. And friends, that's what happens under poor leadership. They do not equip and train people in the weapons of their warfare. They do not equip and train people how to feed themselves in the word of God, the food of God. It says that by constant use, we need to train ourselves to be godly. They were not in any way equipped to do any of that. And so the end result was that they were completely reliant on the enemy and Saul with his depleted army of 600 people ended up sitting resting in a compromised safe state under a tree and it says in 1 Samuel fourteen two, Saul was sitting on the outskirts of Gibeah, which was his hometown when he had been told to go and conquer the Philistines he's back in his hometown doing what he always did under the pomegranate tree um, which was at Migron and the people that were with him were about 600 men from thousands of people he was down to an army of 600 men this is so ironic because the pomegranate plays a very important part in judaism it is a symbol of righteousness and here he was living so unrighteously it is the symbol of fruitfulness and there was absolutely no fruitfulness in his kingship at all first recorded in exodus the pomegranate contains 613 seed which corresponds to the 613 commands of the torah excuse me, Jews eat the seed one at a time to fulfill the symbolism of understanding the law of the Torah. Priests wore the pomegranates dangling from the bottom of their priestly robes to represent the fruitfulness of worship and serving God. Here Paul and his men were sitting and resting. They were not at war as they should have. They'd been lulled into a false sense of peace Due to being so fear driven, they were not righteous or fruitful, but totally content to compromise. Saul was very proud, and they were not equipped, prepared, or alert while the enemy had completely captivated, encircled, and was controlling them. Saul took credit for every single thing that Jonathan did, and eventually, Saul made a declaration that he was building a monument to himself. Friends, Godly leaders never build a monument to themselves. Worldly leaders build a monument to themselves. And I want to say this. What is the motivation of your heart? Is it my church, my ministry, my car, my VIP treatment, my title, my parking spot? It's all about me. Then you know better than Saul was. Or is it all about him? The whole army was left defenseless and vulnerable without any armor and Saul and Jonathan had weapons, no one else, the whole army was rendered useless. And wherever there are insecure leaders, the army of God are rendered useless. Saul-type leadership has an orphan heart. When a man suffers with rejection, full of insecurities and fear, then the only way he can ever rule is through control and controlling people to always puff him up. Wherever a person has come under the influence of a spirit of fear, they are deceived. They battle with shame. The spirit of fear grips their heart, just like it grips souls. They have to control everybody and everyone feels insecure. They hide from people and problems because they are loner, so they put big walls around themselves, and so everybody has to go to a whole lot of other people before they can ever come to them, because they've got walls around their heart, and then they position walls around themselves. They doubt themselves and always see a problem and not a solution. They fear man's opinion and will always respond to man's reaction rather than make a stand. They're very reactional and they will will run after getting the approval of man. They will go with the flow rather than stand for what is the truth and what God is wanting from them. Um, Rejection manifests in a person with an orphan heart and they do not trust anybody and they are not team players. Then when they do achieve anything, they become arrogant and they want everybody to praise them. and they make this monument to themselves. They are stubborn, unteachable and not repentant. They take the glory for what others do. They will not be loyal. Saul was prepared to kill his own son rather than say he'd made a mistake. They will only allow others to minister with the limitations that they give them. They are easily threatened. When David, who was able to stand up against Goliath, came to Saul, Saul said to him, but you've got to wear my armor. So they try and make everybody look just like them. They want people that follow them. It really scares me, friends. When you see a man arriving or a woman arriving and everybody around them dresses the same, looks the same, walks the same, and talks the same. They have just created disciples to themselves, not disciples Jesus. When you see a person that is surrounded by people that are strong, they're gifted, they all have their own way of doing things and they will challenge and they will ask questions, that is a secure leader and that's who God is looking for. Their fear cripples and restricts every person submitted to them. They cannot celebrate when somebody else has victories because they're full of envy, jealousy, hatred. They have a murderous spirit. Saul tried repeatedly to kill David because he heard that David had greater glory and greater victory than he did. They are not repentant even after they lose their anointing. Because they are very controlling, they limit the gifts and the abilities of others from rising up to be all God intended for them to be. They are intimidated by others' gifts And they will crush and continue to kill them and they will label anyone that questions them as being a rebel or there's something wrong with that person because they question them their fears will become the fears of the people following them they will not allow anyone uh, to have skills to fight and no one is allowed to develop themselves train themselves know how to use their their um, warfare And so people may only listen to their ministry, they may only listen to what they say, they may not in any way build up their own understanding of the things of God. They're not allowed to nourish themselves in any way. The problem with uh, being under a poor, a soul-type leadership is that no one is allowed to grow. People are forced to be restricted by the system or leave and establish things out of rebellion because the system causes and results in heartache in broken hurt christians in labeling and stigmas re- uh, rebels and wanting nothing to do with people and cutting them off and kicking them out the church people building camps hating each other because there's so much jealousy and envy and striving going on no one celebrates the growth of anybody else but they annihilate them they judge them they slander them they kill them with their mouth And they build monuments to themselves. As I said, my ministry, my work, my people, and it's all about me. And titles are vital because titles separate them from the people. I am superior to you because I have a title. Friends, your anointing makes a way for you. And the only superiority in the things of God is laying down at a lower level of humility. The result is the next tier of soul type leadership rise up, orphan hearted, just like the father that brought them through. Leaders that are jealous and cannot celebrate the victories of others. And because they're striving, there's no rest. They strive to get profile. Then they've got to hold that position with everything within them, pushing everybody else down until somebody else strives and pushes them off their throne. And then everybody else is to be pushed down again. It is the most ungodly system. And that is why God cannot use people that man will choose. And remember I said to you last week, man will anoint and appoint people like that, but God will not. Godly leaders do not look like that. God does everything out of a place of rest. There's no striving in God. Out of a place of great peace. People enjoying their life and their freedom. People being able to come into the fullness of all they've been created to be. And there's no striving at all because everybody celebrates the other people's victory and glory because of saul's rebellion and lack of uh, and lack of reverence for the sacrifices and the worship he lost his destiny and we see this in 1 samuel 15 verse 22 to 23 not only his destiny but the lineage his son's destiny his whole bloodline lost the destiny that was on their lives um And Samuel said, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Obedience is better than sacrifice and to heed better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft and arrogance, the evil of idolatry. So Samuel said to him, you are rebellious and you are arrogant because you've rejected the word of God. God has rejected you as king. Jesus would have, to come, would have come in the lineage of Saul. But because he went back to his old heart and he did not operate under the new heart that he was given, the heart of God, God had to look for a man after his own heart. And he found a worshiper quick to repent. And his name was David. And so friends, Saul represent, represents kings and leaders and church leaders who want to work from a pinnacle where they're sitting on top of the pyramid and everybody else is there to serve them. And they are the most important person and everybody has to worship them. But nobody can ever, ever, ever come into the fullness of their destiny because they can only go as far as the insecure, fear-driven, arrogant leader on top of the pile. That is not the system of God. And I want to say this to you as young leaders watching me today. If your motivation of leadership is because you want profile, position and power, I suggest you leave right now because that is not the heart of god then go and find a business where you can do that but don't in any way call it something that represents the kingdom of god because it only represents you your heart and your need for profile and now let's have a look at a man after god's own heart who understood what it meant to lead people with the heart of god okay so david loved god he loved worshipping and he loved sheep He was the eighth son of Jesse, who was the son of Boaz. And if you remember Boaz and Ruth, and they had that son that was given and dedicated to Naomi as her grandson, and that was Boaz. And he had a son called Jesse, and Jesse had eight sons. Now, Samuel came to anoint one of Jesse's sons when God said to him, stop mourning after Saul. I've chosen a new king. Go to Jesse's house, and I will tell you who to anoint. And he went there, and Jesse brought all of his sons before Samuel, one at a time, and they were handsome and they were rugged and they were good looking men. And it says in the word, but God doesn't look on the outside. He looks at the inside. And after he'd seen every single one of them, he said, isn't there any more? And David was a shepherd in 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 the fields. Now, many historians believe that the reason that David wasn't brought as one of the sons was because he actually was a concubine's son which means he wasn't received as a son of Jesse. The sons didn't believe that he was because he was a concubine's son. He was a servant, he was in the fields and they didn't even consider to bring him to be sacrificed. And it was only when, I mean, to be anointed. And it was only when Samuel said, isn't there any other son? Because none of these qualify. That Jesse said, yes, I do have one more and he's a shepherd in the fields. So David, the shepherd in his father's fields, um, was called in and he was anointed in front of all of them now the, the the reason I say that he was rejected by his brothers was number one he wasn't in the lineup and then number two when he went to go and feed his brothers later on in 1 Samuel 17 verse 28 and 29 um, Eliab who is his brother had this response to him burning with anger Eliab David's older brother asked why have you come down here now remember he's gone to feed them I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. Now that's exactly opposite to what God said about him. Friends, the enemy will always condemn you and speak over your life the opposite to what God says. And Saul suffered from rejection because he believed the words spoken over his life. David also had words spoken over his life. Conceited and wicked. And David answered, now what have I done? can I not even speak? And so by David's response, now what have I done? Obviously, this was regularly the language that they used against him. And so here he was rejected by his brothers. But friends, he was a worshiper and he didn't find his identity from his brothers or from what they said about him. He found his identity in being a worshiper who loved God. And for hours and hours and hours, he was with the sheep He was caring for the sheep. He defended them loyally. He would risk his life for the sake of the sheep. It tells us later on that he killed a lion to save a sheep and he killed a bear to save a sheep. And he worshipped. He was a songwriter, a worshipper. He knew how to use his weapons because he knew how to kill animals and he had a simple weapon. But he knew who he was, not because of what people said but because of the revelation of the intimate relationship that he had with the father. David honored his father by being faithful to watch and protect the sheep, by taking the food to his brothers, even though he knew that his brothers would react badly to him. And because he honored his father, he knew how to honor and to submit to leadership. He was a loyal shepherd who fought off whatever came against him. He was loyal to Saul right from the moment that Saul employed him. He was loyal to him until the very last second of David's life. He continued to look after Saul's descendants right to the end. He was very loyal to Jonathan, who he loved deeply, um, and he he, played, he covenanted with Jonathan, and he was loyal to him to the very end as well. And we see that right throughout David's life, he would look out for the bloodline of Saul so that he could keep bringing them into blessing and, and keep on um. Honoring them because he honored soul. Um and then we see in 2 Samuel 23 verse 15 to 16 that when his own men risked their lives to go and bless David by fetching water from the well of Bethlehem right through the enemy's camp and they brought him this water, he said, I cannot possibly drink water that two men were prepared to risk their lives for. I have to make it as an offering to the Lord. And even then when they try to give him glory and they try to honor him, he turned that into an honoring of God. He never took the glory for himself he was a worshipping warrior he was a musician a worshipper a songwriter with a heart after God's own heart he was brave and very courageous killed a lion killed a bear and when he saw Goliath he said who's this uncircumcised Philistine he was not in any way intimidated by the size of the man he was intimidated by the fact that how dare you come against my God amazing story so he killed him with a sling and a stone David served uh, Saul faithfully as I said he started off by being a musician in his camp to silence the demons because remember Saul was tormented I told you he listened to demons before he listened to God and he would go and play music and usher in the presence of God and would be calm but then Saul started um, hunting for David to kill him because he was jealous he'd heard that he'd been anointed he didn't want him to take over and he planned how to deceive him so that he could kill him Even when Saul cheated, David did not retaliate. Um, Saul was jealous of David's success and tried repeatedly to destroy him. Later, when Saul was persecuting David, David said, I will not touch God's anointed. And even when he had the opportunity twice to kill him, he did not touch him. And later on, when other people came, the one that helped Saul to commit suicide, he said, how could you touch God's anointed? And he killed him because that man had touched God's anointed. And then when Saul's son, remember I told you that he had a son that for just a very short time ruled as king. And once again, two men went and killed him so that they could allow David to come through. He said, how could you touch God's anointed? And friends, I want to tell you this. We are moving out of a Saul-type leadership into a David-type leadership. But in the transformation and the change, David waited a long time before he could be officially instated as king. He did not try and force it. He did not try and make it happen. And he would not touch God's anointed. And I want to say this to you. Do not criticize, do not judge, and do not touch that which God has positioned. Or do not touch that which you've had to be given the privilege of being trained under. Because if God has called you, there's an appointed time and you wait on God. Do not slander. Do not murder. That's what Saul did. That's what Saul type leaders do. They slander and they murder with their tongue and with their hands. Don't. David never did that. And because of that, he lived in the fullness of everything God had promised him. And Jesus Christ came in the lineage of David. And David is still remembered as a mighty king. And for eternally, he will be remembered as a mighty king. He defended Saul's honor and lineage. He taught the whole nation how to be worshipped. He established choirs and musicians that worship day and night. In 1 Chronicles 15, you can read about that. So he taught a whole nation how to worship God where, where uh, Saul would not honor the sacrifices of worship and repentance. David got the whole nation to understand the glory and the honor of that. The ark of God was very, very important to him. And he danced in his ephod right in front of the ark. He treasured the ark of God. He was repeatedly going back to God and saying, help me, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He never, ever, ever tried to run the country on his own. And even when he made a mistake, and even when he moved into the flesh, he was so quick to repent. Excuse me. He was so quick to repent and even when God said you're going to bear the consequences of your actions, he bore it knowing it was his fault so that God, he could just move on and do what God had wanted him to do. When Absalom, his own son, rose up against him, he wept before God and God fought on his behalf. David was quick to repent when he sinned and he, his correction, he never ever blamed God when he was the one that made a mistake. And he was very quick to listen to the prophets that God had put around him to speak into his life. Now, David being anointed king, the first thing we saw was that he went to the the, the cave of Adullam and 400 men came and joined him that were fear-driven, that were in debt, whose lives were a mess. 400 of the people that could not kill Goliath, went and joined David in the camp of Adullam and these men David took them and he ministered to them and he taught them and he restored their identity and he got them debt free and they became the mightiest men that have ever walked on this earth mighty powerful men of God he took broken people and he made them powerful Saul took powerful people and he left them broken in 2 Samuel uh, 17, verse 18 to 29, sorry, 2 Samuel 7, it says, When David was the king, went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family, that you have brought me this far? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no God but you. David built an altar and a monument to God. He wanted to build a building to put the ark into, but God said, no, don't do that, David. Your son's gonna do that. Saul built a monument to himself. It was always about God for David. When priests and kings, in those days, priests and kings were two different people. David and Saul were kings and God positioned priests next to them. David, because he was a worshiper, lived and operated as a priest king. And Jesus became the first priest king of the inheritance and the lineage of David that, that represented who we are today. We are priest kings, friends. We are people who know how to love God, how to worship Him, how to make sacrifices to God. That's what a priest is. But people who rule and reign in knowing their identity and knowing their authority and walking in the fullness of what God has predestined them to be. It doesn't matter how broken you were. Under the anointing of God, you come into wholeness and healing and you are able to walk in full authority. Jesus, the leader, was a shepherd. He was a worshiper. He was a high priest and he was the king of kings. And he's looking for people with a shepherd heart who know how to care for other people. You know, Saul was prepared to lead the donkeys. David risked his life to save a sheep. And that's what God is looking for. Worshippers, warriors, well-equipped with how to use their armor, who know how to use their armor, who know how to nourish themselves, who know how to feed themselves, how to be strong, who know how to grow in discernment. As it says in Hebrews, that you've got to train yourself. 1 Timothy 4, 7b says, you've got to train yourself to be godly. High priests, we are priests and kings. And that's what Jesus represented so beautifully. Now, Father is looking for leaders who are described in the word word, and the Holy Spirit leads people to the Father and everything that they do. You know, Jesus never did anything. He never did anything without seeing what the Father was doing and listening to what the Father was doing. And everything Jesus did would lead us back to the Father. Everything the Holy Spirit does leads us back to Jesus. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one and to establish the kingdom of God, the government of God on earth as it is in heaven and he left two types of leaders for the church the one of governmental leaders that have to continue the work of establishing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven with the laws of the kingdom of God friends Grace doesn't mean that we have no boundaries to live by. Grace means the divine influence upon the heart reflected through the life. And the law is now written on our hearts. It's no longer written in the book of law. It's written in our hearts. And the king, the government of the kingdom of God, the will of the Father, and the ways of the Father are written on our hearts. And they are anointed and they are absolutely brought to us in the fullness of their power through the holy spirit because the holy spirit will only ever tell us what jesus did as jesus tells us what the father wants and he left two types of leaders and for a few minutes i'm going to talk to you about the two types of leaders that jesus left the one are those that usher in government they are called the overseers and they are servant managers of the household of god and they are the word is episcopus which means an overseer, a bishop, or an elder. And they are the government leaders of the of the local church. And the other one is deacons, and they are the nurturer, carer, servers of the local church. And those are the two offices that God appoints for leaders to go into. And, and those are the only two the Bible talks about. You know, we have all these fancy terms that the business talks about. People at all kinds of different leadership levels, and you get the chief um, usher and you get the chief uh, choir leader, and you get all these things, but actually, none of that is in the Word of God. The Word of God's got two government leaders and servant leaders. Government leaders also serve because the greatest among you is a servant of all. None of us do anything out of any other position, as I said in week one, but out of love, humility, and service. But let's just look at those two. So the overseers, they are servant managers of God's household, friends. You may be an elder of your church, but you don't own that church. They're not your people. They belong to Him. It's His church. You just have the privilege of being the servant manager. They are governmental leaders who establish the vision and the direction for that particular local church under the instruction of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. They establish the government of the kingdom of God, and they lead people out of darkness into His light, Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one, he came to usher in the government of heaven and he said the the anointing of the Sovereign Lord is on me as I 61 because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor in spirit to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free and to release from prison those that are in prison. And so what is the vengeance of God when he takes the ashes of broken people and he turns it into beauty? And that is what we've been commissioned to do, friends. That's what the church should be, a place where people are being transformed all the time not a place where people get words that tickle their ears or motivational speakers that make them feel good about their sin, but a place where people are being transformed all the time. They lead people out of darkness into his marvelous light. They bring unity and maturity through instruction, inspection, direction, and accountability. Ephesians 4 verse 10 to 14, They are called and commissioned to instruct, to inspect, to correct, to direct, to hold people accountable, to bring them into maturity, friends. And that is the commission on their lives. Then the deacon, the diakonos is what it's called. It's an office assigned to the one who is called to help and serve as an attending minister to the elders who care for the poor, who serve food physical and the word of God, who bring drink physical and the Holy Spirit, who care for the people and nurture the people. The word is very clear about the type of people that they are to be and their lifestyles. 1 Timothy 3 verse 11 to um, 1 to 11 says this, it is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart On being an overseer or desire he desires a good work so God wants you to desire leadership because it's a good work and it is work friends it is not works but it is serving and fulfilling the calling therefore serving God as you serve people now, the overseers to be blameless and above reproach. Their lifestyle has to be an open book that people can find no fault with them. That means that you have to know them, you have to know their lifestyle, you've got to look over their shoulder. They've got to be people that you've known for a long time and you recognize that God has called them. Not friends, not people that you want to make buddy buddies all on the same team. But it is by revelation that you've got to ask God who it is that He has called. Um faithful to his wife temperate not people that are up down one day up one day down that people are walking on eggshells around them they've got to have a temperate nature it says that we've got to have the very mind of christ he's the same yesterday today and forever we've got to be temperate people that are the same whether you meet them morning light first thing last thing they stay constant in the way that they handle things self-controlled respectable hospitable Able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not lovers of money. Friends, the truth of the matter is, the, the, the body of Christ has been lovers of money for too long. It's been about building your home, your kingdom, your car, your fancy shoes, your fancy suits, when actually that doesn't represent the kingdom of God at all. Must manage their own family well, see that their children obey them they must do it in a manner that is full of respect. If they do not know how to manage their own family, they cannot manage the family of God. Not a recent convert. They've got to have some maturity in their own life. They've got to represent a mature, strong Christian, or they may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. must must have a good reputation with outsiders, even those who are not saved, must respect them and see them as people of integrity so that they will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. He warns very clearly that they've got to be able to stand against the ploys of the evil one because leadership is the front line against evil, my friends. And if you've ever come under any form of attack as a person, you have no idea how much attack you're going to come under when you take leadership in the church. So they've got to be able to stand strong against the ploy of the evil one. Now it says in the same way, 1 Timothy 3, verse 12 and 13 Deacons are to be trustworthy and respected, sincere not indulged in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. Friends, do not put anybody into a position of leadership that have not gone through the fire of testing. And then, if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers. Ladies, For God to use you, you have to learn how to bridle your tongue. You know what? God gave us an ability to pray in tongues and to intercede and to absolutely come before the Father with incredible intercession. And the enemy warps that, counterfeits that, and women have a reputation of being gossips. Why? Because they have an anointing to be able to pray and intercede, not to go to other people and break other people down. Not malicious talkers. But temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and manage his children and household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance. So we see that they need to be incredibly reliable, honest, faithful. they have got to represent God, represent the kingdom. Their own walk with God needs to be really strong. They've got to know how to stand against the enemy. And then if they carry government, they can be elders. And if they've got incredible heart to serve, because remember the deacons serve the people. And there are people that have been called, appointed, and anointed to serve people. And there are others that have been called, anointed, and appointed to be visionary leaders. I spoke to you last week, last time about capacity. And some people have been created to be able to look after a few people and care about their soul. These are the people that become deacons. And others are visionary leaders of thousands. Now, that is not who you put in position to look after one-on-one. That's who you get to lead the ship. Those are the visionary leaders that need to carry the government to move the ship, while the others care for everybody that's on the ship. And deacons serve the vision of the elders, and everybody serves the vision of God through the power of of the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Why did they choose deacons? In Acts, um, sorry, how do you choose a deacon? In Acts 6, verse 3, it tells us, Therefore, brothers, appoint seven men among you who have a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, that they may be put in charge of the work of serving the people. Good reputation, full of the word, full of the spirit, and then put them in charge. Friends, We cannot do the work of God if we are not full of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't even believe in the Holy Spirit, as I said to you in week one, then God will never appoint you over his sheep. People will, but God won't. Why do they appoint deacons? Acts 6 verse 2 and 4 tells us that it is not as desirable for us, the overseers, to neglect messages from God in order to wait on the tables. It is not desirable for the overseers to neglect time in the presence of God to serve the people. Then they will devote themselves, but choose men, it goes on to say, but choose people to do that, so that the overseers, the bishops, the leaders, the governmental leaders can devote themselves to prayer and the ministering of the word. Friends, the ship has to keep moving. That's why elders are there to move the ship to bring it into the vision that god has for that particular town for that particular church but the people need to be cared for Get deacons to care for the people so i want to say to you if you're the man of the hour that has to do everything there's no way that you can fulfill the commission of god because the commission of god says that there are those that have been established to care for the people and there are those that are established to be able to move the ship. If you're needing someone to love on you and care for you, then go to those that are anointed to care for the people. Don't go to the, and put a demand on the lead elder and say, I have to see you. Because friends, he's got to keep the ship moving. It's really important that we see that. And it's really important that you know what your commission is and what your responsibility is, depending on the leadership that God is going to give you. A good leader is not looking for people who can empower them with words, with finances, with popularity, or with power. But a good leader is looking for people that he can empower. A good leader will love God and serve God wholeheartedly, then serve those that God has appointed him to serve. He will know that he is a son of God like David did and not continuously need somebody to puff him up because he doesn't know his own identity. Full of the holy spirit full of power full of faith love people look for people he can empower seek people and know who they are and see them see them for who they are today and see for what their potential is and who they could be one day help people find their identity lead people to jesus and not to themselves they want people to be more like jesus they do not empower brokenness but lead people into wholeness friends do not call brokenness character rage is not a character gift shyness is not a character gift insecurity is not a character gift rejection is not a character gift fear is not a character gift this is brokenness and we have got to lead them out of darkness into their marvelous light they are not easily shaken by the ploys of the evil one And they are able to stand no matter what happens. And the biggest thing, friends, is that they do not listen or bow to the opinion of man. It was said of Jesus, he didn't care what people thought. He only did what the Father called of him to do. They are not easily shaken because they know their identity. They see a giant and they face the giant and they hit it with a weapon that they've got. They do not flee and hide in corners the way that Saul did. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And friends, I've given you two examples of a good leader, too much detail, and you can look in the notes. There's a lot of scripture for you to look at. And a good and and a bad leader that was so broken, and he broke down the whole army. And I want to say this to you, friends, that God is busy transforming his church. He's busy bringing her back to the bride that he left behind. We've had many, many, many examples of soul type leaders that have rendered the whole army of God useless. And God is coming back for sons of God, mighty men and women of God, the way that David rose up, mighty men and women of God. Each one knew how to use their own weapons. Each one knew how to stand strong. Each one knew their own identity. Nobody was intimidated, you know, David killed one Goliath, but his mighty men went and killed all the brothers that he had. I think there were four other brothers. David killed one, but there were four others that they killed. And so we've got to understand that God is looking for people that are worshippers, that care about the sheep, that love God, full of power, full of the Holy Spirit, who know how to be humble leaders, who know how to lay their lives down before God, who know how to continuously come before God and say, help me, God. That are not looking for profile. That are not looking for position. That when people see the church, they don't even know who the leader is because everyone is empowered and everyone is mighty, and they all look different and they all look in the fullness of who they've been created to be because they all look like Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you. You want to be a leader. You're watching this because you want to be a leader. From today, I want to encourage you. Spend ninety nine point nine percent of your time finding your true identity in Jesus. Spend time in the word. Be so well versed with the word that nobody can deceive you. Be so strong in the Holy Spirit that your discernment is so incredibly strong. Seek hunger and thirst after righteousness. Look for people to empower because don't wait until somebody recognizes you to do the work that God has called you to do. David was doing the work long before anybody knew anything about him. He was a worshipper. He cared for the sheep and he killed the enemy. And I want to say, friends, do what God has called you to do. And God is the one that is going to anoint. God is going to appoint. God is going to call. Your anointing will make a way for you. And in the right moment, God will lift you up. If you prepare to lay your lives down. The cost of leadership is that it costs you everything. And friends, If you prepare to do that, he will raise you up to be a mighty man and a mighty woman of God and fulfill everything that he's called you to be. (coughs) God bless you abundantly. Goodbye.